Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. It's great to be uh, here with you today. As um, John has said, my name is Maya. Uh, I'm married to Dave and um, yeah. <laughs> Good times. Um, thank you guys. And uh, yeah, Dave and I were pastoring the Equippers Church in Timaru for uh, the last 10 years, and we moved up here in January uh, for pretty much for taking on the, um, fully the job that I have at Laidlaw College, where I'm a lecturer in practical theology. I've um, got my finger in a few pies there and um, really enjoy that space. So we've got four girls, and uh, Ruby, our eldest, is 14, and then Izzy's 12. Tess is nine and Ida is four and she is starting school in a month, which, um, yeah, mixed feelings about that one. Excited but also a little apprehensive about what that means. Uh, but uh, it's really great to be here with you today and I'm really excited about the series that we're doing called What Works. Um, one of my favourite things to teach is spiritual formation and I'm teaching a course on formation at the moment and we talk a lot about um, spiritual practices and the things that help us to grow, what works for us to grow. And there's an interesting dynamic as a person teaching this kind of course. Uh, Dave often used to joke that as a pastor, you're kind of a professional Christian. Uh, kind of not, but kind of, yeah. Uh, and now I find myself teaching uh, a course on following Jesus, and I feel like oh, I've got to be like some kind of spiritual guru now. And uh, I try and make sure the students know that that is not the case. Because I'm well aware of how much work I need. I am well aware. I mean, I'm sure there's actually places that I'm not aware of, but I'm quite aware um, of, the, of how much space there is for growth. And I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe you feel like you're doing pretty good at these things. Maybe you feel like you've got it sorted and, you know, you're just like 100% all the time the front row's laughing because they're like, we well, know that's not true. I feel like the more that you go on with following God, the less you realise that you've got it together and that's a very safe place to be. Absolutely. And um, I'm really excited about the series because it's going to be very an equipping time for you. But what we're talking a bit about today is the kind of the fundamental idea behind what we're doing. And it's really important to understand that we don't approach this kind of stuff from a, in a sense of, I've got to fix myself. I've got to perform better. There's some, like some tweaks I've got to make to my life, some tweaks to my schedule, some things I've just got to, got to be better. It's not how it works. Actually, it's about growing into who you truly are and who God has designed you to be. When Scripture talks about spiritual formation, uh, it, it uses these organic metaphors. Uh, it talks about plants. First Corinthians 3, James 5, is like plant, we're like plants that grow. It talks about we're kind of like children that grow up from teeny babies and through toddlers and all the stages uh, 1 Corinthians 13, Ephesians 4, Hebrews 5. They're all, it's all about this idea of growing into something that we were always intended to be. They're always organic. There's none of this mechanical, oh, I've got to fix me, like we're an engine that's broken. 
There's none of that kind of stuff. And it's important to get this kind of fundamental idea that that's why we do anything, any of these things that work, is because we want to become who we were always designed to be, to live as we were designed to. Now, yesterday I was um, fixing some picture frames and I needed to tape something on. And we've recently moved into our house and so I haven't still got like, there's no scissors in the office. And I was in the office and I was like, oh, could walk into the other room to get some scissors, can't be bothered. What else have I got in here that could function like scissors? And I eventually got a nail file and kind of stabbed at the tape to cut it, made a hash of it, but it was sufficient for what I was doing. You know, didn't actually matter how, how bad it was. And I thought to myself, it's a good example of how sometimes you can use a thing for a purpose that it's not intended for and it doesn't really work that well. You know, a nail file didn't really cut it as a pair of scissors. Ah, pun unintended. Um, it was great at filing my nails if that was what I'd chosen to do, but I needed a pair of scissors if I really wanted to, to perform for the function that I wanted to have. You need to use things as they were designed for to, be, to have the best effect. And similarly, we need to live as we were designed for if we want to have the best outcomes in our lives. And you think, like, surely that would come naturally to us. Like, surely that would be obvious. No, it's not. It's remarkably easy to live in a way that is quite at odds to how you were created for, particularly in a world, uh, in a modern world in particular, that is just so, just moving away, there's so much messaging, so much kind of like big cultural stories that we tell ourselves about what the good life looks like and what does it mean to flourish as a person and how should I spend my time? You know, the messages that you are being bombarded with are often quite counter to the truth that God would say about us. And God was the one who designed us, yeah? And he is the one who knows how we work. So he should be the one who we listen to about how we should live. It's kind of quite basic, but we don't really go with it all the time. Because the truth is that we are a thirsty people who deeply desire that which we were designed for. You can live in denial of your thirst, but the reality is deep down you are a thirsty person. Thirsty for what you were created to have, which is fundamentally relationship with God. And you can try and cover over that thirst in a whole lot of different ways. Uh, Jeremiah 2.13, Jeremiah writes, the, the, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah, and Jer Jeremiah says, and God, God speaking, they have forsaken me, these people, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water. They have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now, a cistern is like a, a storage place for water. Think like a toilet cistern. It's really the only, I don't know, I don't really talk about cisterns apart from the toilet cistern. Not that I really talk about toilet cisterns that often, unless it's broken. The cistern is like a storage place. So it's saying, okay, you people, you, I'm a spring. God, God's saying, I'm a spring of living water. But you've turned away from me. You've forsaken me. And you've gone, actually, I'm going to go dig a well over here. That, that'll, that'll meet my need. That'll meet my, meet my thirst. We've dug it. Turns out it doesn't work that well. It's broken. It doesn't hold on. And we go into it going, why don't you make me feel better? Why, don't, why does this not? Oh. God's over here like being like, I'm the spring of living water. 
come back over here, might have something you need. But we're constantly going to all these other things. And so we want to ask the question, what works? Well, there's a whole lot of different stuff. And like I said, we need to let, let God be the one who tells us, first of all, so we go to Scripture. But we can also go to the Christian tradition. People have been people who are living in a relationship with God for quite a long time. And while things in our world have changed a lot, what it means to be a person hasn't really changed that much. And so the things that people have found over hundreds of years really work for them to stay connected with God are probably going to work for you. Sometimes we can have this, um, I've heard it called chronological snobbery, and we think, you know, oh, we've got something new. Mm -hmm. No, not really. Actually, you can go back to a lot of it. And there's just so much richness um, in, in the tradition. And, and so over this series, it's going to be talking about some of the different practices. Things like Sabbath. Like it's always been a good idea. Right from the very beginning, God modelled it to us and said, on the seventh day, I'm going to have a rest. It's in the Ten Commandments. It's a good idea. But we're living like, oh, actually, I've got this new plan where I'm going to hustle and just go, 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 because that's going to make things happen for me. No, it doesn't work. It's a whole lot of other things. Uh, silence and solitude, slowing, giving, reading scripture, meditating on scripture, prayer, all of these things. They're not rocket science, but still somehow we fail to organize our lives around them. It's like we think, how, so if I'm, this is the spring of living water, we think, how far away can I get from that spring without dying? When, this is kind of stupid, isn't it? When really we should be thinking, how close can I get to the spring? How can every day, can I come back to the spring? Because I'm thirsty. I am in need. And I don't, I don't know, maybe today you are thirsty. Like it, can, it can be quite a difficult thing to admit that thirst to yourself. You know, it's quite tempting to just present everything's fine. You know, if you fake it uh, to, you, to enough, enough other people, you can start faking it to yourself. I'm fine. I'm fine. Things are fine. Deep down, things were not fine. Maybe you are like, like the psalmist says in Psalm 63, oh God, oh God, earnestly I seek for you. I'm living, it's like a dry and weary land where there is no water. And it, David was writing that from a literal desert wilderness. But often that is our experience. I don't know, maybe the last couple of years have been a dry and weary land where there is no water. Maybe even just the last winter where every week there has been a new cold in your family. If that hasn't been your experience, I want to know what supplements you're taking and can you please provide them to me? But like a lot of us, we're weary, we're thirsty. And there is a spring of living water. It's there, it's gushing. But are we drinking? This is the question. So we're going to talk a little bit more into this idea of, of what it means to live. Um, I'm going to mix my metaphors an awful lot, uh, just because it's always good times. But I really want you to help have this just fundamental idea that when we're talking about spiritual growth or formation, this idea of what works. This is not a project of self-improvement. We are so tempted to, to think in that way because so much of the modern world is talking to us about this kind of thing. 
I've got to do this, I've got to get these skills, change my body, change the way I look, change the way I relate. I've got to fix me, I've got to make me better. This is not a project of self-improvement. It is living in to who we were created to be. Yeah? Um, my lovely assistant, if you could just hand me my prop. Thank you. Just pop them up there. These are um, some grape prunings from my father. I said to him a few weeks ago, could you just prune a grape for me? I think he had plenty of grapes he hadn't pruned. So we are going to, with these in mind, we're going to read John 15. Okay, so this is Jesus talking. I like to imagine that Jesus was uh, talking to his disciples about this while he was in a vineyard. So I don't know if you've been to a vineyard recently, but just in your mind, go there, go back to your happy place. You know, when you're reading scripture, you can actually use your imagination at the same time. So imagine, Jesus is walking through the vineyard and he says to them, I am the true grapevine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. Now you have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit... You are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Let's pray. God, we are incredibly grateful that you allow us to be connected to you. It's actually a little bit scandalous that you would receive us and say we can remain in you. And Lord, we want to say sorry for the times that we do not take you up on that invitation, where we live um, separate to you, or as if we were separate to you, where we try and find the source of life on our own. And God, I ask that uh, this morning we would hear your invitation to us to draw closer. Lord, that we would have a deep understanding of, of what it means and the foundation of grace in that. But Lord, that there would be a sense of invitation, not, not one that just gets us interested for a Sunday morning, but one that stirs to life something that is going to be ongoing, that is going to continue to bear fruit. Wherever we are at with you right now, Lord, draw us a step closer to you that we might live into who you have always created us to be, that we might enjoy the fruit of that, and that we might offer that fruit to the world. Amen. So, 
Exhibit A, are these going to produce any fruit? Will there be grapes off these? No. Why is that? They're dead. <laughs> They're dead. They've been cut off. There's actually still a little bit of green on the inside, which is amazing. But they're cut off. There's no connection. And this is the metaphor that Jesus is using. He says those, those bits that have been cut off, they're useless. You're going to gather them up, put them in the green bin. This is what he would have said if he was talking today. They didn't have green bins back then. But too often, we live like this and go, why am I not producing fruit? Oh, what did you expect? I'm talking to myself here. So I just want to clarify, when we're talking about fruit, what do we mean? There is a sense that the fruit that is produced in our life are the things that we do for God. The ministry that we have, whether that's uh, in our workplace or in our family or in our friendship uh, circle, there is a sense that that's the fruit But one of the primary ways of thinking about the fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. So Galatians 5, 22, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you have a wee look at that list, I might take this off. Thank you, lovely assistant. How, How are you going? How are you going with those? You would have an honest moment with yourself. There's probably some of those that come kind of naturally to you. You're just a joyful kind of person. People love that about you. But there's probably some of those you go, oh, I just really need some more self-control. I really need some more patience. But these are the fruit. I love the way that um, Eugene Peterson uh, translates this in the message. He says, The Holy Spirit brings gifts into our life like fruit appear in an orchard. And if you think about how fruit appear in an orchard or how um, grapes appear on a vine, they just happen. It just happens. The the vine doesn't go, oh, I'm really going to make this happen. I'm going to push it out like a chicken pushing out an egg and making a racket. doesn't happen. The fruit just appears because there's life that's flowing through it. And in the same way, that is how the fruit is supposed to appear in our life. Not because we're trying really hard, but because we're connected to Christ and there's just a sense of flow that happens, a sense of flow. And when we're talking about this idea of what works, so we're talking about the things that we can do, the spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines We have to understand that those are not the basis for our connection to God. There is no sense in which the fact that you spend an hour reading the word in the morning and journaling and praying and you keep the Sabbath faithfully and you give away, blah, 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 whatever, that does not make you connected to God. It's not the basis at all. It is the support. So this, this grape prunings here from my dad's house will have been growing along a fence somewhere. He's got about eight grape vines, I counted, and I know far too many than he has to take care of them, um, I've discovered. It will have been growing along a wall somewhere where he's put some wires up. 
And if you go back to your vineyard and your imagination, you think about how those vines are growing. There's always these wires that are stretched between these posts. And that's how they do it, you know, these, these days. But they, people have been doing that kind of thing with grapevines for as long as they've been cultivating them because grapevines need to grow on something to flourish. They will climb up anything. You can grow a grapevine up a tree. It won't be very good for the tree, but it will grow. It'll grow on anything. But this idea of, um, we well, call it a trellis, is what they used to use. This is the thing that supports the grapevine. And without it, if you just planted a grapevine in the middle of nowhere, you would have wasted your money on your grape plant. It would just kind of like grow along the ground and it wouldn't produce much fruit and it would get diseases and it, it really would not flourish. Whenever you put a grapevine in the ground, you always put it with something to grow on. And for a start, you have to help it grow a little bit. And the spiritual practices, the things that we do, they are that support to us. The wire that helps us, lifts us off the ground, lets air and light get into the vine, that lets the, stops the diseases happening, lets the fruit flourish, it, it requires that. And it actually even clings to it, the grapevine does. You can see on here there's like little, um, I'm sure there's a fancy name for them, little curly bits. Uh, they have grown around the, the, the support, trying to hold on. Not because it's like, I know that if I want to be a good Christian, I need to hold on to the support. Okay, right, I better do it so people think I'm a good Christian. Or Jesus likes me. No, the plant goes, this is life-giving to me. I'm going to hold on to this. And even when the wind comes, I'm going to be holding on to it tight. That's what it's for. And in the same way, the, the things that we do, the spiritual practices, they are the, the support that we need to cling to if we want to grow. They don't cause us to be connected with the vine. They don't make us right somehow that we can be connected, but they support our growth. And the best way of thinking about it is not just thinking about, okay, random thing here. Right, I'm going to read my Bible, going to journal occasionally. I'll come to prayer meetings. That'll be good. I'll go to life group, individual stuff. But thinking about them together, it's like an integrated set. Uh, and the fancy word for this is an, a rule of life might be a phrase that you've come off, it's an, uh, come across before. It's a really ancient idea that's got cool again recently, uh, and it's really helpful. Very important that you don't hear us talking about rules, though, when people use that phrase. It's not the rules of life. There are no rules. Like we've said, that it's, it's a, the rule. And actually, the root of the word is the idea of a trellis for a vine. If you dig back in the etymology, if you're into that kind of thing. It's thinking about what are the things that I need to do every day that are going to help me be connected to Christ? What are the things that I need to do every week that are going to help me be connected to Christ? What are the things I need to do every month or every year that help me to stay connected to Christ? Because all that Christ calls us to do in John 15 is to remain in him. It's not like particularly active, really, is it? Remain just means like stay there, stay connected, abide, sit in it. But everything in your world is pulling you away. The devil is pulling you away as best he can. The stuff in the world is pulling you away. And I'm going to be honest, even yourself, the brokenness of your sinful nature is pulling you away. So you do actually need to lean in 
to remain. You need to cling to the things that will help you stay connected. And that's where this, this idea, and when you're thinking about, oh, so what is it for me? Three things I really want you to think about. It's got to be flexible, it's got to be personalised, and it's got to be contextualised. So flexible just means that you might go, okay, my rule of life looks like this. Weekly, daily, weekly, monthly, whatever. Great. But then things change. You have a baby, and suddenly you can't, Wake up early in the morning to spend time with God because you've been up five times in the night. No one's going to do that. It's got to be flexible. It's got to go with the changing seasons. It's got to be personalised. It's got to work for you. There are some things that you particularly need to do because of the wounds in your life, because of the, just the way that you are set up. There are things that you really need to do. You've got to hold on tight to this one because your brokenness is pulling you far away or your family of origin, it's pulling you away, all of this kind of stuff. It's got to be contextualised. It's got to work for your context. It's got to be realistic, all of that kind of stuff. And I really want to encourage you, as, you are, as we're working through this series of what works, which I'm going to encourage you, don't miss a week. Like, if this is life that you're being taught about every single week, don't miss one. Like, maybe you can't be here on a Sunday, maybe you're sick, but they're online. Don't miss it. But as you are coming across these, think about what, do we, what might it look like for me? What, is this something, Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, is this, is this something I really need to like cling to this one in this season? And what does it look like for me to work it out? Really got to be hearing that for you. So I want to encourage you, like, so excited that we're doing this series. But one thing I really want to dig into is how does it actually work? How? So say, like, of, of those fruit of the Spirit, um, probably patience and gentleness. I'm not going to make eye contact with my husband because he's not going to, just don't look, would be the ones that I, I think, oh, I really, I'm struggling with those a bit. And probably have been for, like, the last 14 years and 12, no, 11. How old are you? <laughs> it's a great crucible for character formation, becoming a parent, shall we say? Um, <laughs> patience and gentleness. So how, how does it work? Now, I've had many times, they usually happen between like 5 p.m. and 6 p.m. when everything is pushing your buttons. And you're just like, oh my gosh. And you're just like, I'm gonna explode. I'm going to explode. It's just building, like, your, your self-control, it's, it's your reserve of self-control is running out. There's been lots of times I've said to myself in that moment, just be more patient, just be patient, just be patient, just be patient, and then boom, there is no patience. <laughs> well, sometimes you can be patient for, like, a, a certain period of time, because self-control is, is there, it's a gift. Self-control is a limited resource. It is. <laughs> Neurobiologically, it is a limited resource. And in the heat of the moment, it will only take you so far. And they're just like, maybe sometimes they're, like they're literally poking you. And you're like, what? how do you think this is going to get a good outcome? This may not be, like, for those of you who are parents, you're like, you know what I'm talking about. This could be someone you work with. 
or someone you go to school with, you're like, you're annoying, you're annoying, you're annoying, be patient, be patient, be patient, whatever it is. Or it might be, you can, any of the other things, just painting the scenario because it's, uh, it's real from my life. How does, how does, how do I help that? And how does spiritual practice, how does the fact that I might spend 20 minutes in the morning in silence, just in the presence of God, how does that help me at 5.30 p.m.? Like, what's, what's going on there? Well, there's a couple of things I want to I draw out. I need to have a drink of water. So we talked about how self, self-control is a limited resource. And often we think about self-control as just like white-knuckling it through a moment of temptation. Don't do it. Don't watch that thing. Don't say that. Don't eat that. Don't turn the alarm off again. Just come on. We think about self-control like that. And self-control is that. But it is also the ability to make conscious decisions out of the heat of the moment that will help you in the heat of the moment. That I would make the decision to set my alarm a little bit earlier and sit there in silence, just meditating. I do this thing called Centering Prayer a lot. There's an app, it's great. Um, I would choose to do that and I would apply self-control so that I find myself more able to make choices in the heat of the moment that are more patient. Because the reality is, in the heat of the moment, you're just like running down the paths that you've got established in your thinking. Okay, so you're probably familiar with the idea that uh, you've got a brain, and brain is quite important to who you are, and there are connections in your brain. And the more that uh, these things, brain cells are connected, the more connected they become. Uh, neurons that fire together wire together is the, is the Hebb's axiom that goes with it. Best way to understand it, I think, is to imagine a field of grass. If you go, like we used to have a paddock that had quite long before we got sheep, and there would be paths that you could walk. To make a new path was quite difficult. You had to tramp the grass down. But if you walked it quite a few times, it just became a path. And then when if you had to quickly get from one place to another, you just run down that path. Now, in the way that you think, there are pathways set up that you're like, okay, this stimulus, annoying situation, coworker, child, whatever, boom, response, I'm there. Didn't have to think about it, I got there (laughs) so easily, remarkably easily. You need to build new pathways, but doing that in the heat of the moment is remarkably difficult. It's the things that you do outside of the heat of the moment that will help you form new pathways. There's some really conscious things you can do um, that you can do, especially if you need counselling around some things, or uh, even one thing that's really helpful that I was taught ages ago was imagining, getting the Holy Spirit to help me imagine what would it feel like to experience your peace in that situation? And like, imagine it, like taking some time, really filling out, what would it feel like? And helping my brain to start get that pathway. What would it feel like to choose a patient response when I was getting that annoying stimulus? And it, um, so it helps there. But the other big thing, so this idea that your, self, your, your conscious choices outside of the heat of the moment 
enable you to make better spontaneous choices in the heat of the moment. But the other big thing it makes a difference is, is to help you to rewrite some of the big stories that you believe about things. The big stories, maybe the big lies that you believe about yourself. They might be things like, you're not enough. If I get the keys come up, it would be great. Um, it might be, you're not enough. Or you're too much. Or there's not enough to go around. Or you need to look better. Or you need to be in more, more in control of things. Or you need to be the one who makes things happen. There's a whole lot of different big, big stories that we believe about ourselves. And they've all been shaped by our family that we grew up in, our culture, and the way that interacts with our sinful nature, and the devil gets in there and plants some lies. But it really shapes you. It's amazing how much I've discovered that so many of the behaviours that I think, oh, why do I keep doing that? I can trace them back to some big lies that I believe about myself. I'll put myself under pressure. I had this incredible observation, moments of self-revelation, that I was contributing to the 5 to 6 p.m. Uh, crazy time by the fact that I would try and squeeze things into it. Like, I'm cooking dinner and I have preschoolers. You know what? I should do some baking at the same time because that's going to make things easier. No, stupid. So stupid. But I would do this because I, the fundamental lie is, you're not enough. You need to be doing more to earn approval from, I don't know who exactly. Not examined, not conscious, but deep down, that was the thing. If I could do that, if I could get some baking as well, if we could also have dessert, that would be really good. And then I would be a good person, and then people would really love me, and God would actually finally approve of me. Like, there's, none of that is true but it deeply formed my responses. And it is as I have spent time and continue to spend time in uh, just really sitting with the truth of being God's beloved that's helping to unpack some of that so that I can make wise decisions that cause me to be able to bear the fruit of patience or gentleness or whatever is needed in the moment. And it's, it's remarkable to me how difficult this has been. But one of the big problems is I spent so long trying hard to do better in the moment. Just resist the temptation, whatever it is. Just white knuckle your way through it. Be a good Christian. Doesn't work. But it's as we attend to the connection that we have with Christ, all of the other stuff flows with it. That's not, not to say that your behaviour doesn't matter and just, you know, go do whatever. Don't worry about hurting people. Don't matter it. You worry about your body. It's just, I'm good with God. That's what matters. It's not, that's not true. But it's as you attend to your connection with Christ that everything else flows from it. And that is what freedom looks like. This idea that I would use self-control to make conscious choices Conscious choices to deny myself and a bit longer in bed. Or conscious choices to go, I don't think I'm going to watch that TV program. I think, I actually think that's probably not going to be good for me. Making those decisions to deny myself 
leads to freedom. And this is a big thing that it's so countercultural. The world will tell you that the best life you can have is to get to do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it, without reference to the interests of other people. Now that is the free life. That is not a free life. That is a free life. It is a life that is bound to the impulses of your brokenness, that is bound to the lies that the enemy has seeded throughout our society. John Mark Homer said something like, discipleship to Christ is the constraint that sets you free. And I choose the constraints. I choose the constraints of clinging to the supports in order that I would be connected with Christ, in order that I may live free. That I'm not going to be wandering around in a dry and weary land with my back turned to the spring. I choose the constraints. And it is always hard, but it gets easier. (laughs) It does. It does. I just want us to take a bit of take a bit of space. So if, why don't you stand to your feet as you're able? And just take a moment to check in with where you're at on this stuff. Maybe you need to close your eyes just to tune out some distractions. Whatever it needs, whatever you need to do to help you connect with God. For some of us here today, you have still, you've heard a message. Perhaps you have been explicitly taught a message that you need to do certain things to be approved of by God. And I'm sorry if that is what you've heard, because that is not true. You are His beloved child. And when you came out of the womb, He loved you even before you could offer Him anything. He loved you. And that is the foundation. Nothing shifts that. Nothing shifts the fact that He he loves you. And the thing that defines you most is that you are His beloved. But we need to live into our belovedness. For some of us, you might become aware of some broken cisterns, those wells, those sources of water that you've gone and dug for yourself, thinking, oh, that's going to make me feel good. That's going to make life work. And you go, oh, actually, I need to face the fact that that is not working and come back to the spring of living water. For some of you, it's just acknowledging the fact that you are a thirsty person that you need something more than what life without God has to offer you. So we're going to take a moment just in prayer together, have a bit of space. struggle to get our heads around it. Lord, so often we come to you thinking that we have to perform a certain way for you to like us. So often we come to you trying to hide our brokenness and our nakedness, forgetting that you accept us. 
Lord, we lay down our defences before You. And Lord, for those of us here today and online who, who have heard and deeply believed a message that we only have access to You dependent on our behaviour, on our thoughts, God, would You free us from that lie? May we hear the truth that you speak to us in the deep places, that we are your beloved. We receive your love for us. Lord, some of us have become aware of where we have been looking for water in all the wrong places. that's the the socially acceptable things or whether it's the things that good Christians frown on or anything that, that takes us away from you is not worth it and is harmful to us and Father we receive your forgiveness God, we ask that you would help us to return to the spring of living water. Help us to see those broken cisterns for what they are. We just break off any lie of condemnation that would say that there's drinking from those waters has made us unclean and that we couldn't come to you break off that lie in Jesus' name and I declare the truth that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God and His invitation to be connected to you is always open. He never runs out of patience with you. God, we ask that you would help us to approach this idea of doing some things with our lives that are going to work to help us to to grow into who we really are, that we would approach that with the right mindset, God, that it would be connection with you that we hunger after. I do a great work in us, Lord, as a people, that we might be formed as individuals, as families and as a community, as people who are living together, connected to you, God, that we might bear the kind of fruit in our lives that we can enjoy and that the the world can eat of and be blessed by. Thank you, Lord. If there's some stuff that's come up for you today that you feel like, I need someone to pray with me in this, then there's always the prayer team available after the service. I do want to make an invitation to you. If you fall into that last camp, where the, the step that you are making today is to say, I've been trying to live my life without God and turns out it's not working that well. And I, I recognise a thirst in me for a God who would invite connection with me. I want to follow Jesus. And if this is what following Jesus looks like, if it's not a list of do X, Y, and Z and don't do A, B, and C, well, then I want this relationship. Then there is an invitation 
for you today to respond to that. So if everyone just could close their eyes just to make some space. If you're here in the room and that's you today, you say, I, I, wanna, I wanna take a step and, and enter into this relationship with God. Could you give me a wave so I can see who I'm praying for? Maybe you're at home. Maybe you're watching this after the fact. You actually also get to be included in this. I can't see you if you're waving at me, but I want to include you in our prayer. Is there anyone else here in the room that wants to respond? Okay, let's pray together. I'm going to pray a line if you want to pray after me. Father God, thank you that you invite me into relationship with you. Today, I take you up on that invitation. I choose to follow you, to live like I'm loved, and let you be my Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me on the cross. Thank you that I am yours. Amen. If that's a prayer that you prayed either at home, online, or um, here in your heart, just quietly to yourself, then do make yourself known. We would love to support you in that. Because this whole thing is, it's not an individual endeavour. This is a team sport, this following of God thing. And I really want to encourage you over the series of that we're doing here, that there is life to be found. There is not obligation. You could receive it as obligation, but it is a life to be found, a spring of living water that is on offer. Come, come. I love the way in, um, what is it, John 7, 37, um, Brian Simmons in The Passion, he translates Jesus, I am the living water. And he says, all you thirsty ones, come to me. And that is the word of the Lord to you today. Jesus is saying, all you thirsty ones, come to me. Here is life. So let's take him up on that together. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. 